The podcast you're about to listen to may contain random lines from musical theater, terrible attempts at regional accents, and a sincere discussion about mental health. You have been warned. Are you ready to start singing with your feet? Formidable! Allez, c'est parti! Juste dans la joie Une joie profonde Nos cœurs, elle inonde Cette joie, elle vient du ciel Non, nous ne sommes pas fous Welcome to Sing With Your Feet. My name is Lily Fields and I'm going to be your fairy godmother for the next half hour or so. Here on Sing With Your Feet, our goal is to help you, Cinderella, remember what it is that you love especially when life has crept in and tried to rob you of your joy. And we're going to be making a plan to start bringing back those things that you love into your life. But then, you know, I said robbing you of your joy, but maybe it's not been so obvious as all that either. Maybe it's been a gradual leaking of joy. The kind that happens when you have a tiny little microscopic hole in your bike tire And then out of nowhere, you start to notice that you're having to work harder to go as fast and as far as you used to go. This image is very fresh to me because remember I told you a few weeks ago that my kids and I have been riding our bikes for the 22 minutes one way to school and home from school every day. To be honest, when that happened to me the other day, I blamed a lot of things before I figured out that I needed to fill up my tires. I blamed an unfavorable wind for how hard I had to pedal. I blamed my lungs for being encumbered. I blamed my legs for getting suddenly weak. Like, I wondered if I was experiencing some kind of uncatalogued menopause symptom for this weakness. <laughs> I blamed the terrain of the constantly under-construction cobblestone streets of town. I blamed everything except for the actual cause of my problem, when it turned out simply that I needed some air in my tires. Joy is like the air in our tires. It multiplies our efficiency. Joy helps us to ease over the bumps and the bustles of life that can seem like the freaking end of the world without joy. Joy helps us overlook the shortcomings of others. And helpfully, joy helps us to forgive ourselves when we mess up. Joy is a byproduct of living the life that we were destined to live. The life in which we put to work all the resources that we were entrusted with since our birth. Resources like our time, our talent, and our treasure. Do you remember when we talked about time, talent, and treasure? Well, here's a quick refresher. From the moment of our birth, we have a limited amount of time to spend on this planet. We don't know exactly how much time that is, but however much it is, we cannot beg, borrow, or steal one second more than what is allotted to us. Many of our most important decisions in life are about how we choose to use that time. We can invest it in ways that bring more joy, more peace, more love, more hope, more kindness, more justice, and more integrity into this world. We can also make choices that waste that time. We don't often feel like those are real choices, though, do we? Because honestly, 
Who would purposefully choose to waste time pursuing internet rabbit holes about different ways to tie scarves or how to restyle your millennial outfit so you don't look outdated? I don't like to think that I choose to waste time that way, but I do waste time that way. So it must, at some level, be a choice, right? In a week or so, we will be returning to the ideal life theme of work. And spoiler alert, this is one of the important choices we have to make in our lives that hits all three of these resources, our time, our talent, and our treasure. But when it comes to work, we're going to find ourselves spending a lot of our time working. So our career choice is critical to our experience of joy, since it is a byproduct of how we live out our ideal life and how we use our resources. But I'll come back to that in a few weeks. For now, we're refreshing about our three resources, time, talent, and treasure. So we're back to talent. We have to figure out how to invest our talent. Our talent is everything that we know how to do, whether we are born knowing how to do it or whether we spend 10,000 hours perfecting our craft. Unlike time, there is no exact amount of talent that we will have throughout our lives. We can increase our skills through study and hard work, the sky is almost the limit. Talent is something a lot of us have trouble talking about because we are so intent on believing that we have nothing to offer. Talent is something that requires us to view ourselves with humility and lucidity. That is, that we be able to honestly evaluate what we're good at and what we're not good at and find ways to put those things that we are good at to work for the greater good. Accepting our limits and our weaknesses is just as important a task as identifying our skills and our talents. Knowing what it is that gets us into a state of flow in which we don't even see time pass is just as important as knowing what causes us to feel like our life is a painful grind. We can't always put to work all of our talents or avoid tasks that make us feel like Sisyphus. There is joy in the prospect of putting to work all the diverse palette of talents and skills that we possess. When we love ourselves enough to put limits on the time that we let work take up in our lives. We'll talk about this too in a few weeks. But the last resource is treasure. We need to think about how we invest our treasure towards our ideal life. Treasure can be an enormous vector of joy in our lives. It can be measured in money in possessions, in land. Treasure is also a resource that theoretically has no limit. I mean, anyone who plays the lottery might win it, right? But in reality, we know what is a reasonable expectation for ourselves in this regard. Treasure can complicate our relationship with other people. How many stories of greed and jealousy have you personally experienced? Or how about those families that are torn apart by inheritance problems? Treasure is an amazing thing with so much potential to do good, but it also holds the power to create problems for us. What I want to talk about today is our treasure. Our treasure, our stuff, what our treasure means to us and how having too much of it can actually get in the way of having joy. Yes, 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 I said what I said. Too much treasure can actually lead to us having less joy. I'll explain what that means after a little bit. But before I get into the meat of today's topic, I also want to refresh our Cinderella's on the concept of the ideal life. The ideal life is shorthand for what I like to imagine being a gigantic Venn diagram made up 
of 19 different circles that each represent different domains of our lives. I came up with my 19 themes after spending weeks finishing this sentence fragment. In my ideal life, I am a person who, and then answering it is in as many ways as I possibly could. For me, I found that those answers could be put together according to 19 different themes. Did this take a long time? Yes. Was it worth it? Also, yes. These 19 different areas are, and forgive me if this gets pedantic for a second, but I'm going to read them to you. Commitments, the environment, mental health, creativity, spiritual life, stuff, work, schedule and planning, parenting, keeping a clean house, body positivity and health, sexuality, gravitas, wise decisions, personal style, habits and routines, relationships, passions, and marriage. These 19 are my circles. You might have more, you might have less. My sister Poppy loves to travel, so travel is one of her themes. You may not have any children, so the parenting circle isn't one that you include. What I've suggested since the beginning of this podcast is no matter how many themes you have, that you take a few minutes each day to answer four questions on just one of those themes per day. So for example, today I might answer the four questions for the theme of my stuff. And then tomorrow I will answer the question for the theme of mental health and so on and so forth. I call this doing my ideal life exercise. Those four questions are the following. Number one, what is working in this area of my life? Number two, what isn't working in this area of my life? Number three, what do I need to be thinking about? And number four, what do I need to do today to get me closer to my ideal life in this area? If we do our ideal life exercise regularly, we can see progress in each area. We can also see where we are stagnating and take a few scheduled minutes to think about why that might be and how we can get out of our stagnation. Instead of feeling stuck, which is something that we all feel from time to time, our ideal life exercise helps us move forward, even in teeny tiny, teeny little steps and feel like we're making progress. All right, so now that we've got all that foundational blah blah about today's conversation out of the way and a bit of vocabulary for what I'm going to say, let's move forward. Today, I want to talk about the theme of our stuff. I actually, for me personally, call this theme the theme of contentment, in case this discussion needed a bit more complication added to it, right? Stuff and contentment. The two go together in my mind because my overarching desire in the area of my stuff is that I want to be content, whether I have plenty or very, very little. Content as in, I love what I have, and I want to use it. Like whether I'm wearing a 675 euro silk shirt dress or a hand-me-down skirt, I own it because I love it. Whether I have a fancy new couch or a beat-up Salvation Army couch that I bought 15 years ago, I am happy. My stuff will never be what makes me happy. Rather, it is because I want more than anything in my life to know real joy that I choose to be happy with what I have. This maybe goes back to the KonMari method that we talked about early on in the podcast. I believe it was episode four that I called MacGyvering KonMari. Contentment is a crucial part of how I imagine my ideal life. And is as often the case, all roads lead through my stuff. 
So why are we talking about this again, you may ask? Haven't we dealt with this sideways, long ways, forwards and backwards? Well, we have, but I think we need to talk about it again. Years and years ago, I heard a story, maybe it's an urban legend, but I love to think about it as a thought experiment. So whether or not it's true, hear me out, okay? It's about an extremely wealthy foreign person whose wife was going to be in Cleveland, Ohio to get treatment at the Cleveland Clinic. That person sent ahead an assistant to help him find a place to live in the area, and the assistant saw a house which was not for sale but it seems that it would take all the boxes for this extremely wealthy person to be satisfied living in. So the assistant walked up to the front door and offered blindly twice the amount of money that the family had paid for the house, if the family who lived there could be out in 48 hours. Right, so it sounds like it might be an urban legend. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but I love the story. Can you imagine? You would have twice the amount of money that your house is worth, but you have to be out in two days. Could you do it? Could you pack up everything you own in 48 hours? How I love to think about that. Because when my husband and I moved to France in 2007, we arrived with two suitcases each and a cat. Before our move, we had all the trappings of a nice little life, although we were renters, admittedly. We had a car, a piano, I had a lovely little sewing machine, an amazing vintage 70s desk that we lovingly called the tank, the most amazing vintage vinyl couch that I took some of the most luxurious naps of my entire life on. We had everything we could have ever needed and more. And then we decided to move to France. And we decided that we would find a way to get everything that we owned that we loved and couldn't take with us into the hands of people who either needed it or wanted it. We didn't want to take money for it. For us, it was part of saying goodbye and following our hearts on our adventure to France. Now, 16 years later, we have an apartment full of toys, a car, a piano, and plenty of furniture. I told my boys the story about the people who were told that they had to move everything they owned out in 48 hours, and I asked them, What would be the most important things for you to keep with you? Do you know what they both said? They both said, the cat. Not their Legos, not their Playmobil or their race toy cars. The most important thing for them to keep would be their cat. I tell you, this renewed my faith in their humanity. So, again, why am I telling you about this? Well, because right now, my family and I are on the precipice of something very, very exciting, and very, very scary. We are planning a move home. We are fixing to leave behind the black forest, which we can see out of our back door, and our French baguettes, and our friends, and our life here in France, to move back to the United States next year. So when I told you last episode that I was working on a personal project, That is what it was. I was spending a week decluttering and inventorying everything in our apartment and figuring out if it was going to be given away to a loving new home, whether it was past its prime and wouldn't make it past the dump. Yes, those Salvation Army couches are definitely past their prime and going to end up at the dump. If it was something perhaps that might be stored with my in-laws or if it would be small enough to fit into a suitcase. Our move isn't immediate, but it's coming more quickly than any of us imagined that it might. But that's a story for a future episode when we start talking about work. 
Imagine for a moment that you knew you were committing to a transatlantic move and that you wanted to take absolutely as little with you as possible. What would you take? You only have two suitcases to put everything you hold dear. What goes in those suitcases? What would you leave behind? Who could benefit from the things that you cannot take with you? Now, this begs the question, why take so little with you? Why not have things shipped? And I'm not saying that we won't have a few things shipped, but our every effort is going to be to move our family without shipping anything. First of all, it's a personal conviction. Here's how it went back then. Back in 2006, my indulgent husband and I lived in an adorable little apartment on the first floor of a great little brick building. Our neighbors on the fourth floor were a young couple who had just had twins. Every week, I would make them dinner and take it up to them because although I was not willing to take care of babies, I was willing to make this couple dinner once a week. So when we were about to move to France, they gave us an incredibly beautiful gift, a stoneware teapot and matching teacups. For days, I tried to figure out how to fit those things into my suitcase. And then, one night, I had a dream. In my dream, I was walking in the city, the city where I currently live, Mulhouse, France, in northeastern France. I had an enormous backpack, like comically huge on my back, like Santa Claus on steroids. Huge. I was struggling to cross the street, incidentally. It's a street I cross every single day by bike with my kids on our way to school. In my dream, I needed to get across the street before a tramway came through. But the backpack was just so heavy, and in my hand, I was carrying that teapot. I was waddling across the street, and there was this tramway coming right at me, going bing, 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 and I felt so awkward and uncomfortable and laden down. And then, as I woke up, I heard the words, take nothing with you. So, how about that? It became a personal conviction that I needed to significantly cut back on what I was intending to take to France with me. The teapot could not come. This was how we settled on each of us taking two suitcases. It wasn't nothing exactly, but it was what the airline would allow. My mother was kind enough to let us keep some of the things in her basement, like that teapot, things that we just didn't have the heart to give away or which had some sentimental value to us, but certainly wouldn't to anyone else. That dream I had, it's like, it's like so many of those weird things that I've heard spoken directly to my heart, like the words, you need to stop throwing money at your self-worth problems, which are the words which caused me to stop shopping for an entire year and deal with my self-esteem issues, or what would it take for you to know that I love you, which I spoke about in episode 69, the one right before this episode that you're listening to now. Those words held the power to change the direction of my life forever, and they are still giving direction to my life. I want you to think about this. What are the convictions you have about your life? What are the guiding principles that direct your decisions? Do any of them have to do with what you own or with your stuff? What is the potential for joy that those convictions have in your life? Elle me donne envie de chanter, danser. Elle pousse à agir, donner, partager. Et tout simplement de sourire, aimer. 
Just to be clear, I have no problem with the idea of moving stuff across the ocean. I am not over here on my snooty little cloud looking down my bespeckled fairy godmother nose at people who preciously pack up their whole household for a move. It's just that the call on my life is to not be attached to stuff. The desire of my heart is to be content, whether I have a little or I have a lot. But I will never project that call onto another human being, not even my children. Although I clearly have a preference in the matter, I will not demand that they relinquish anything. Since they were little, we've set them rules about containers and how much space they have to keep their toys in. And if they acquire more toys than they have space for, then they have to make decisions. My kids have learned to find joy in giving away toys that they're too big for. Recently, we dropped off their mega collection of Duplo. Those are those really big Lego bricks at another family's house. The family has three kids under the age of four, and they had no Duplo. My kids were completely jazzed up about making these kids' dreams come true. What's incidentally amazing about those Duplo that they gave away? We didn't buy those Duplo. They were given to us by a woman who was cleaning out her attic and found them. You see, when you are the beneficiary of that kind of generosity, you want to become a vector of generosity for others. My kids have learned that. So our attitudes about our stuff and our relationship to our stuff is one we all struggle with in one way or another. Some of us are constantly wishing we had more. If I just had X, Y, or Z, then I would be happy. Or on the other end of the spectrum, I have a friend who has spent her life accumulating things and is feeling overwhelmed because she can't find anything anymore. And now she's trying to actively get rid of things so that she can feel freer and happier in her own home. Remember I told you in the last episode about how I was asked that question back in 2007 prior to our move to France. What would it take for you to know that I love you? And how I answered with two things. Number one, that my husband's law school debt would be paid for before he graduated and passed the bar exam. And number two, that I would be somewhere in Africa serving kids who needed to be loved. Well, in case you missed last week's episode, I told you that in very short order after I said those two things, I had received a bonus at work which paid off my husband's law school debt and that within months, I was at an orphanage in Uganda working with children who had lost their parents to AIDS. So here's another part of that story that I feel absolutely obligated to tell you. I was in Chishanji village, a tiny mountain village in Uganda with no electricity or running water near the border with Congo and across a gorgeous little lake from Rwanda. It was afternoon, and I was with the kitchen ladies helping prepare dinner for the kids. All the meals were prepared over an open fire outside. We sat around together telling stories and picking out the inedible pieces of chaff from the rice before it would be boiled. There was a workman piling stones to build something nearby, and he was listening to someone preach sermons on his battery-powered cassette tape player. There was a silence for a second while he changed the cassette tape, and then... I kid you not, the song Now That We Found Love by Heavy D and the Boys started playing on his tape player. I will put a link to it in the show notes just so you know what I'm talking about. I sat there completely astonished for a minute because it was patently absurd to hear that song here in this little tiny mountain village, especially considering that up until that moment, it had been a fire and brimstone preacher. So now that we've found love, what are we going to do with it? It was a question for me, like directly to my heart. Hey, Lily, I've shown you that I love you. Look at where you are. 
It's what you said it would take for you to know that I love you. So now that you know I love you, what are you going to do with that love? And today I am still trying to answer that question. But listen to what happened this morning. During the night last night, I got some very good news about my job search. And I was naturally very, very happy. My boys and I were listening to music, doing a little dance party to Justin Timberlake's Can't Stop the Feelin' and Daddy Fair's Think About Things, which I will also put links to in the show notes. The boys don't know about all this move stuff happening yet, and I don't want them to get excited until everything is absolutely 100% certain. But here's what went down. We were listening to these songs that we love, that they know, and we were dancing around like crazy people. YouTube was scrolling through its own algorithm of what it thought we might like to dance to, and it certainly wasn't wrong. Big Yellow Taxi, Cherry Pie, my usual playlist. And then, out of nowhere, YouTube decided that I wanted to hear Heavy D and the Boys play Now That We've Found Love. I mean, I didn't know that I wanted to hear it, but boy oh boy, did I want to hear it. My little fellows hopped to their feet and started dancing like crazy, both of them exclaiming, I love this song! As far as I knew, they had never heard that song before. And then the memory of sitting in the mountain village sorting rights came back. I was celebrating the good news about my job search, and I was getting this visceral reminder that this good news was just part of my love adventure, the one that I started down in 2007. Only this time... It was four people and a cat who would be doing a transatlantic move. So let me ask you the four ideal life exercise questions about the area of your stuff. Remember, none of this exists for you to pass judgment on yourself. It exists so that you can take your own temperature about what's happening in this area of your life. Question number one, what's working in the area of your stuff? Is there anything that's going well right now? Did you take that broken, old, rotting bicycle carcass to the dump finally? Or did the rice cooker that you've been wanting finally arrive and you're just so happy and wondering how you ever lived without it? Write those things down. Question number two. What isn't working? Did your car not start this week? Or did your smartwatch finally die after a long and painful period in hospice? Is there a crack in your favorite mug? Did you have to tear up your basement rug and you're miserable about it? Write these things down. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. If it's not working, it isn't working. Just write it down. Question number three. What do you need to think about? Like, are you feeling overwhelmed with all the clothes that just don't fit you anymore, but you don't want to get rid of them because they represent a significant amount of money investment? You don't have to think about it now, but write down that you need to think about it. Or what about that basement rug that you have to tear up because your basement flooded? Why are you miserable about it? What does that rug represent to you? How can you grieve that thing that you feel like you're losing when you lose that rug? And question number four, what can I do today to get me closer to my ideal life in this area? This can be as something as simple as taking the recycling out because it's overflowing in the kitchen. It can also be I can drop off my donation box at the Goodwill. It can be I will finally replace that awful wooden spoon. And then the secret with number four that it is that it be something doable, something you can actually accomplish today, and then go do it. I know I've thrown a lot at you today, but I think you understand where my heart is coming from in this. It's a topic 
that is very close to the surface for me and my family, and it is bubbling up with anecdotes and thoughts that I hope can help you articulate your relationship with your stuff too. Your stuff holds the potential for a lot of joy, but your stuff also can get in the way of you living your ideal life. I want you to consider that relationship very, very, very closely this week. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I want to give a great big thank you to Seven Productions here in Mulhouse, France, for the use of the song La Joie as the intro and outro to the show, to Claude Equay, who wrote it, and the fabulous Matt Kugler, who sang it. This is your fairy godmother signing off. Just remember, it is never too late to start singing with your feet.